Welcome to Ungated Marketing, a Landbot podcast. This is a show for marketing makers who are ready to break away from the traditional marketing playbook. You are about to hear a conversation about actionable tactics, experimentation, and insights only gained with experience through trial and error. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Ungated Marketing, a Landbot podcast. I'm your host, Fernando Moral, and today I'm joined by Sam Dunning, co-owner of WebChoice, a digital marketing agency, host of the Business Growth Show, and part-time superhero as the SEO man. Welcome, <laughs> Sam. Hey, Fernando. Good to be here, man. Thanks very much. Looking forward to it. Please uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you love the most about marketing. Ooh, that's, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, Sam, we co-own over at webchoiceuk.com. So we build websites and SEO strategies that generate leads and sales. And like you said, I also run a top 100 marketing podcast called Business Growth Show. What do I love the most about marketing? That's a tough one, actually. So I guess it's, I guess it's the end result. So for us, a lot of, a lot of what we do is kind of conversion work on websites and also helping businesses attract the right kind of traffic with SEO and organic search ranking. So I guess it's when a campaign works well. So I'm working with a business and we actually know that we're helping them attract the right kind of client. They're driving the right kind of inbound. Those customers are then turning into revenue. So I guess it's when we put together a plan and it actually yields results, i.e. clients, leads, revenue for businesses is, is, is always a good one. Bit cheesy, but is what it is. Yeah, I love, love that. So today we'll be talking about websites a lot, how to plan them, build them and optimize them. Before we dive into those details, how important is a website for a marketing team and for a business? It's pretty important as your website can literally be your very best or it can be your very worst salesperson, depending on how it's done. So there's a few ways you can look at it, really. I mean, if, if you see your website as nothing more than an online static business card and it's just a few pages and you don't actually want it to do anything, if you don't want your website to build trust, showcase what you do, how you help, generate inbounds or leads, sales opportunities, then doesn't really matter. However, if you actually want your website to act as a useful tool for your business, if you want it to kind of build trust with prospects, clearly show what you do, how you help, if you want it to actually generate that inbound lead flow or revenue, then it's it's really crucial as a lot of companies invest quite heavily into marketing, whether that's SEO, whether that's ads, whether that's other forms of marketing to drive people to the website. So it's, it's a really key piece if you actually want it to grow and produce revenue for your company. And we're going to talk about the right way to plan and create a website, but I'm guessing that you have some way, some views on the wrong way to do it. From from your experience, <laughs> what are the most common and biggest mistakes that you see? So, I guess one of the worst things that I see when it comes to website design and build is when companies, whether that's the CEO, whether that's the marketing team, whether that's someone else that's involved in the web design, they design and build the website to stroke their own ego, to please themselves. So they think it looks really cool, it looks great, but they're not designing and building it for their ideal clients, AKA the people that are actually gonna spend money with your business. Because the chances are you're not your ideal client. It's pretty rare that you're an ideal customer for your company, right? You've got thousands of your products, you've got thousands of your wares, you don't need more. Um, so we wanna attract the basically the customers that are gonna be buying our stuff. So 
it all starts with research and rather than just thinking well our website's a little bit outdated we need to do a new one you actually need to understand well what are the key goals why did what is this website for i who is who is our ideal client profile who do we actually want to attract what are the sectors we're going after who's the um the target audience um what do we want them to do on the website i is it focused on pointing prospects or people that we're already in conversation to is it more to point traffic from seo from ads maybe from social channels from webinars from email marketing campaigns and then have they got to quickly land on the site get a clear idea of what we do how we can help um, and then do they do we want to drive demo requests or inbound so there's quite a bit that needs to go on in terms of research um, and one of the most important things you need to think about is what do you actually want to get out of the website what do you want it to achieve whether that is just a trust building piece whether that's a lead generation piece whether that's educating prospects that are maybe not at the bottom of the sales funnel but perhaps higher up and not ready yet to speak to sales so there's a lot of considerations you need to think about on what the end result is for your website just to close on the on the wrong way is there anything like how do you spot, is there some signs that you look at a website and you, you think, well, they didn't do the proper research or this was just done for the marketing team to feel good about themselves? Is there anything that you spot on a website and you say, yeah, this is not right? Yeah, there's a, there's a few ones. I guess one of the worst and simplest mistakes is when you land on a site, especially in B2B tech, and you're on there for a few seconds, you see their homepage, maybe you see their hero area, the banner area, and you still can't work out what they do. So it's it's just full of jar jargon, their headline, and it's like, we build cutting edge, 360 degree, all angle views of this technology and this software. And then you're scrolling down the site for a few seconds, you're like, wait, I still can't work out what they do. Um, and I'm not sure how it's going to help me. And yeah, I'm probably just going to go to a competitor that gives me a better experience and I actually understand what they do and how, me, how they help me. So that's one of the most frustrating things. Um, and then also when it's really difficult to actually get in touch. So if it's hard to request a demo or if it's hard to kind of book a consultation and the, the process is quite arduous. So those are some kind of big mistakes. There's lots more, but those are some of the main ones. Okay, so let's go into into your methodology because I, I know you have a framework on planning a new website or maybe a, a complete website redesign. So what does that framework look like? Yeah, so it's quite detailed. So I'll try and give a, a snapshot. But I mean, the main thing is a lot of companies, especially in the B2B space, are going to be investing in their, their site. It's going to be a central hub. It needs to act as their best sales rep because it's going to be live 24-7. Chances are a lot of companies are going to spend money or time or their own team's time on running webinars, email marketing, SEO, all kinds of paid media, paid ads. So this traffic needs to act as their best sales rep. So in order to actually achieve those goals, we want to do some decent research. So we need to think about kind of who do we want to attract and what's most important to our ideal customers when they land on the website. So without going into customer, interview, um, customer interviews too much, what you want to do is ideally... If you're an established business, grab kind of 10 or so of your best existing clients that you enjoy working with, that are profitable for your business, and they're actually useful to, to kind of chat and happy to discuss with you, and grab them for, for like a Zoom call, or worst case, do, do an email interview. And you'll understand, so if you've got a website already, you want to be asking things like, what do you like about our existing site? Um, what could we do to improve our existing site? What do you feel we need to see on our 
on our new site in terms of that side of things. So that will give you useful nuggets about bits and pieces that perhaps pages or features they like on your existing site, what they feel is missing on your existing site, which is really useful to ask. So for example, when I've done this before, people have said, well, I've got an idea of what you do, but it would be really useful to see things like pricing pages. So then I can actually understand what your, your stuff costs. Or maybe they might say, I want to see case studies so I can get an idea of the projects you've carried out and the results you've achieved for clients. So asking those questions gives you really useful golden nuggets on perhaps what's missing from the current site and what's actually important to, to clients when they land on a website like yours. Because a lot of us, when we're building our websites, we just think, what would we like to see? And what actually matters is what our prospects, what our target clients actually care about seeing. And that might be they want to flick to a case study, they want to see a testimonial, they want to see pricing, and then they're ready to request a demo. So getting those useful in, um, pieces of information. Now, there's quite a lot of other things you can ask which can really assist your design in your content. So things like, when did you first realize that the problem that you came to us was a problem? What was the kind of main issue that you had when you came to wanting our service? When you first contacted us, what was the main problem or issue or goal that you wanted to achieve? And the reason that's quite useful is because that can really influence your website headline. So for example, there's a there's a test we like to run on websites called the Grunt Test that I believe was founded by a guy called Donald Miller from a book called Building a Story Brand. So as soon as someone lands on your website, they should be able to say within a couple seconds of landing on your homepage exactly what you do, exactly how you help them, and know exactly how to get in touch. If they can't do that within a few seconds, then you've probably lost their interest and they're going to flick to a competitor where they can actually understand what you can do for them and the, the relevant next step. So by understanding your customers' common problems, you can gear that in your website headline, i.e. their common frustrations or the end result that they want to achieve. So there's there's quite often a framework that we recommend. When you know when you have the clarity on that, so when, when after you do all that research, which is crucial... Yeah. Oh, how do you go on the actually creating the website? So then, I mean, there's there's design, there's web development, there's content, there's copy, yeah. uh, a lot of things. There's a uh, lot. There's technical side to it. So how, what does the process look like after you have this research sure. done? Yeah, sure. So let's say you've done your research. Let's say you've collated the common feedback. So what your prospects, your customers are commonly saying they want to see their problems and, and what they want to get out of this website. Then you need to go into design. Depending on the scale and size of your website, you might jump straight into actual visual designs. Or if you've got kind of a larger scale enterprise website, you might do a wireframe first. So you can actually map out things like what are the main pages we want. And that might be something like, I don't know, homepage about us, services, which might have a drop down for your main services. You might have pricing, you might have case studies, then you might have requested demo. And you might have a bunch of resource pages as well, right? So you might have resources, blog articles, podcasts, video guides, downloadable guides. So thinking about the structure of the main pages you want, maybe wireframing that so you've got a rough template of what needs to go into each page. And then once you've got that structure, once you've got that prototype and you've thought about the main pages and elements that you want, it's actually doing the visual design. So where a lot of companies make a cock up, Fernando, is these people are still doing what's called responsive design, which is quite an outdated practice now. So they're making their website responsive. So it looks okay on mobile, it looks okay on tablet, it looks okay on PC, when what you should be doing in this day and age is a mobile-first design. What I mean by that is you literally design your screens for mobile first, as Google search is roughly 60% plus from a mobile, and then doing your desktop design separately. 
So for example, you'll map out your homepage, you'll do the, the mobile screen, you'll set up the menu nicely, you make sure it really looks crisp and, and great on your, on your mobile, thinking about those things you learned in the research, mapping out your kind of menu nav, your, cool, your main call to action, the menu bar, which might be get a demo, your hero area with your headline, scrolling down, maybe you've got some social proof, maybe you've got some, serv- some of your main services, and maybe you've got your footer with your social links and stuff. And then once you've done those mobile designs, then going into the desktop. So you're really giving people the best possible experience, no matter what device they choose it on, rather than doing the old practice, which was do a responsive site that looks average on each device. And then it's steadily, steadily designing the pages, right? So thinking about kind of the homepage, the headline, adding social proof as people scroll, adding your main services, thinking about your call to action. So you're going to want a call to action before scroll. You're going to want a fixed menu so people can easily kind of navigate around your site. You're probably going to want a call to action in your menu for your main thing that you want people to do, request a demo or book a consult call or give you a call. So yeah, it's, it's kind of putting those practices into place as you put across all the visuals. And also depending on what you want to do with your site so it depends how detailed you go right if your if your, t- if your website is purely lead gen then it might be that you have a few information pages on what you do your services and then you might also have resources pages that you need to design out so things like blog articles podcasts guides and you also need to think there's a lot of considerations you need to consider around kind of if your website's just going to be a marketing piece or it's, if it's going to appeal to people at different stages of the sales funnel i.e. if someone lands on this site and perhaps isn't yet ready to buy yet can they educate themselves on your sector can they learn more about what you do how you help can they learn more tips around your industry or if someone is at the bottom of the sales funnel and they're ready to buy can they easily click that call to action and request a demo or speak to sales so thinking about these things as you put together the visuals so that's some of the early considerations i was going to ask you about mobile first and you already Mm -hmm answers because <laughs> I see the, that mobile experience being taken more and more seriously, but very mm. rarely actually being designed before the desktop version, as the name implies, mobile first. So yeah, I do see them being designed side by side, but usually still desktop comes first for, for designers. And I don't know if this is changing or you still uh, see a lot of resistance to actually designing the mobile version before the desktop. I think in a lot of older school or legacy industries where perhaps your target buyer, perhaps your target buyer is like an IT director, for example, and perhaps they only ever log on to your website when they're at a desktop PC and they don't do any research at home on their mobile. Maybe in that case, you can do desktop first, but the way things are moving, especially in the work from home environment, a lot of people are kind of flicking on their mobile. People do research outside of working hours, um, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, ultimately you want to give people an easy way to view your site. And if that's their mobile, if that's their tablet, we want to make it, give them a great experience and make sure they can understand what you can do, how you can help them and get in touch nice and easily. And you would say probably that it's easier to take a mobile design and then uh, make a desktop version out of it than the opposite, because sometimes you design stuff for desktop that it's impossible to put on a, a tidy screen, right? Exactly. And you'll see it on some sites. Like when you when you squash it down to mobile, it just doesn't look quite right. And perhaps the banner's like squashed, the top banner, perhaps the, the menu's too small, perhaps it's quite tricky to scroll around. You've got a zoom in part. So it, yeah, if you do that mobile first, it saves you a lot of headache. And there's also the, the implications for that, right? That is becoming more and more relevant, the mobile experience for Google rankings. Exactly. So Core Web Vitals was dropped some time ago. And one of the requirements for Core Web Vitals is that you need a at least a mobile-friendly design. 
but if you mo- if you design for mobile first, you're one step above. Um, and something else on Google Core Web Vitals is that your website should give a good experience. So it should have good navigation. It should be a useful resource to people that land on it. It should give them the answers they need to the common questions they have. And that's a good thing about your website, right, Fernando, is it not only can it kind of attract people and show kind of the, the ways you solve their problems and the benefits that you bring, it can add social proof with testimonies and case studies, but it can also um, tackle their questions. So if you utilize like, let's say you you run a product that has several um, variations, so you can have an information page for each variation of the product. You can also answer common questions with FAQs. You can have videos to overcome objections and problems. So it can really kind of layer up on that, which not only helps lead gen and helps conversion rates and builds trust, but it also helps with Google um, because you're providing more content around the questions that people might be searching for. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of considerations around SEO. And in fact, that could probably be an episode in itself around kind of on-site keyword research yeah, content. and for sure. <laughs> but we'll still t- touch a little bit of it. Chili Piper is an advanced scheduling solution for B2B revenue teams. Rather than listen to me ramble on, here's a super happy customer describing how Chili Piper has revolutionized the way they work. Chili Piper as a tool has just become part of our fabric. It's our meeting booking system for our prospects. And you'll be pleased to hear it just does it. It's like the ideal piece of software which you don't have to babysit. It just does what it needs to do. My SDR team like using it as well. The main bulk of their role is outbound prospecting which they use Chili Piper to book book those meetings. Ultimately, they are booking meetings for the account executive. Their handoff is working you know, really well. You just heard there how Chili Piper can free up resources and turbocharge your productivity. Book your free demo today over at chilipiper.com slash BGS. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-I-P-E-R dot com slash BGS. Chilipiper.com slash BGS. Are you tired of competitors stealing your traffic, leads, and sales all because they're higher on Google? Maybe you're investing in paid ads but want to enjoy the benefits of organic SEO, meaning free traffic and inbound customers and not having to pay Google for every single click. Or perhaps you're running SEO and ads, but your website is failing to convert your hard-earned visitors into a steady flow of qualified sales leads. Any of this sound familiar? Let the team at WebChoice fix that for you. Book a free consultation today at webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Still on the creation of the website, um, there's another typical question of what comes first uh, about the content. A website's content is mostly copy, <laughs> the words, and design, yeah. the layout, and the images. So what comes yeah, first? Yeah. Well, it should be copy in an ideal world, but how often that actually happens is a different question in itself. <laughs> um, so definitely, I mean, there's nothing worse than like a design team like us will put together all these visuals, 
let's say we've put together like the homepage, for example, we've got like a, a nice hero banner area. We've got a nice section underneath with maybe some reviews and then maybe we've got some testimonials. We've got some service blocks and then we get the content from the client and it's like twice as much as we allocated space for. So we're trying to squash all this content into this page and it just looks terrible. So like you say, if you can get the content first and you can map out what's going on each page, it can save you a lot of time and design stress because then you're designing it around the copy. It's actually going to look good rather than trying to squash a design later. <laughs> and um, most websites share some characteristics, like they all have a home page, pages that you already talked about. Do you have tips uh, for specific parts of the website? I have plenty of tips. Um, so we've we talked about the homepage and kind of, like I say, it's, it's essentially a landing page. So people want to flick on your homepage, know what you can do, what's in it for them, and then guide them to either learn more or get in touch or request that demo. Um, so having a call to action above the fold and a call to action in your main menu is key. And then building trust as people scroll down with social proof and all that good stuff, encouraging them to either learn more about what you do or get in touch. Now, other key pages is the good thing about your website and making it your best salesperson is it can attract, it can engage, it can educate, it can qualify, and it can convert your ideal prospects if it's done right. So we've talked a bit about the educating piece, having useful resources, guides, blogs, articles, podcasts, videos to really help people learn more about your sector so you can become the go-to company or person when they need your help. In terms of qualifying people, there's a way, a range of ways you can do that. So pages like case studies that perhaps show kind of similar clients that you've helped, how you've helped them. You can have process pages, so showing your typical workflow, how you handle projects, how you tackle um, projects or what your software does. And then pricing page. A lot of people are scared to put pricing on their website. In fact, I used to be um, until recently because they think, oh no, if we if we put our pricing on the website, we're going to scare everyone away. Well, it's BS. Um, what you're going to do is if you don't share pricing, you're going to attract plenty of the wrong type of customers and your sales team are going to be furious at your marketing team because you're getting all these leads but that's wasting time on sales calls because these customers don't even have the budget to do business with you so i mean there's some best practice on pricing you can of course give the the three top packages that you offer if you're a SaaS company and then put a kind of recommended option with the main features if you perhaps don't have standard abc pricing packages what you can do is a range So you can say, look, project type A is from 5 to 10K. Project type B is typically from 15 to 20K. Project type C is, I don't know, 20, 20K plus. Here's, here's typically um, the clients we help. Here's some social proof. Here's some testimonials or some video reviews from clients that use each project type. Here's some common questions, some common objections. And hand, literally handle the common objections that you get on the page itself and the FAQ or the testimonials. And then have clear call to action. So ready to speak to sales or ready to discuss this plan um, and guide them to the next step to book that inquiry and, and book that demo. So just thinking about ways that we've talked about that you can attract, educate, engage and, and convert those these people and also qualify them along the way because there's no point driving a ton of leads of your website if they're not qualified to do business with you, right? Yeah, so I, I love that uh, discussion about the pricing and um, in, in sales-driven organizations. That's always yeah. um, an issue. I guess the argument being the devil's advocate is that they want to show the value before they talk about pricing. So they want to go on that sales call. But, but the website can also show the value, right? Of course it can. And a lot of people don't want to sit on a 30, 40, 50-minute demo before they get to know your pricing. Um, especially if they're comparing options, right? 
So if they found you on a Google search or they found you on G2 or Clutch or one of the review websites, they're probably comparing two or three companies. And if the other two competitors are sharing their pricing and you're not, they're going to think, well, maybe this company's got something to hide. I'm just going to find another vendor that's actually open and transparent about what they do. And like I say, it just it just saves sales team time. Um, like, would they rather speak to someone that's qualified and has budget, or would they rather speak to someone that's probably a tire kicker or that's probably going to moan when they share pricing as well? Are there other pages that some websites don't have than they should? I think a lot of people skip on resources, and a lot of B two B websites in general are quite slim. So, depending on what your SEO strategy is, this may or may not be relevant. So, for example, if you're purely running ads to your website and you don't care about SEO or organic search and being found on Google and capturing that demand, then might not be applicable to you. However, if you do, then people perhaps skim. So they might just have like home about results and then get a demo. It's basic four or five pages. Whereas if you want your website to start ranking on Google, you need to be a bit more detailed. You need to position your website as more of a useful resource. So perhaps you have detailed pages on the benefits of your, your main software. So maybe how it helps customers or each kind of main feature you've got a detailed page for. Um, so for example, if you serve, I don't know, if you serve different locations, maybe you've got an information page on the main areas that you serve. If you've got several services, you've got detailed pages on your site for each of your main services. Not only does that give people the relevant information for each option, but it also helps Google. So if people are searching for these products, location type, you're more likely to be found because you've got the content there on the website. Whereas if you've got a really slim website with just four or five pages, you're, you're hamstringing yourself. Apart from that resources which we've, we've i've talked about quite a lot so just being an education um, piece for prospects pricing we've we've shared and then i suppose the other the other page that i feel that people fall short on is their contact or their demo request page and then the thank you page so a lot of contact pages i see are really really detailed so they have like inquiry forms that ask like name surname date of birth what school did you go to what's your inquiry how did you hear about us why would you recommend us what's your job title so there's there's nothing wrong with having the main fields but some of the the inquiry forms i see a bit overkill i understand that you might want to get their name job title phone number email how did you hear about us um and then their inquiry that's fine but kind of keeping it relevant the other ways that you can kind of gear up your contact page um, that you might want to consider is kind of having your contact form and then next to that having some social proof so maybe having a solid customer testimonial or a customer review video that shares kind of the problem they came to you with, how you help them results, what life is like now. So if someone's still slightly unsure, they see that testimonial and that gives them the push they need to fill out your inquiry form. Or maybe you've got some accreditation logos like trusted brands that we've helped to just bolster that social proof. And then the other thing is the thank you page. So a lot of people, you'll fill out their inquiry form. It'll just literally say, thank you for your inquiry. And like, well, when are you going to contact me? What happens now? And you're just confused. Whereas a thank you page, if you've got a dedicated page for it, that perhaps says, thanks very much. We'll be in touch within 24 hours. The sales rep that'll be in touch is Fernando. However, if you've got any questions, feel free to call us on this number if you need urgent help. Uh, maybe you've got a gift, like a celebration, someone popping champagne. Maybe you've got also, here's some useful resources. Check out this video or check out this podcast or check out our blog if you want to learn more. So not only are people like, oh, cool, this, this company's going to get in touch within a day. I'm going to speak to Fernando, the sales rep. Here's some useful resources. So people have already got an awesome experience with your company before they've even spoken to sales. 
something that gets neglected quite a lot. Yeah, I, I'm I'm guilty of that, and I would say it's probably the most valuable and overlooked page because someone just actually converted as a lead and you have an opportunity mm -hmm. to show them something else. And um, speaking about uh, forms and, and websites, uh, obvious question is about chatbots, another way to, to interact. To in, I mean, chatbots can do a lot of different things. You can build whatever you want with them. But a typical case is for that uh, lead capture. And you were just saying forms with a lot of fields generate some friction with visitors. Be, making it more conversational is another way to, to look at it. Yep. Uh, so do you have any recommendations about good use of a chatbot inside a website? They, they can be great. Um, they can be very, very bad if they're, like you say, asking tons and tons of questions. You've got to answer like a hundred part series before you even get to book a demo. But if they can quickly give people answers to common questions that they might have, if they can make it nice and easy to type your name, your company, your email and, and book that demo process, if they can make options that perhaps might take a bit of time normally on a website, seamless and quick, then they can be a nice addition to a site, like you say, to either qualify or to kind of book demos or to do those tasks that you want people to do fast on the website. And I'm very biased on this next question, but what's your view on gating the juicy content and those <laughs> resources that you mentioned yeah. behind a website form? I think 99% of content that's gated should not be. So... I don't think there's anything wrong with gated content, but the test that I run is, think about it from a customer perspective, right? Or a buyer perspective. If you go onto a website and perhaps you're not yet ready to buy, perhaps you've searched a question, like let's say you provide CRM, like how to find the best CRM for your business. And maybe you land on an information page on a website. It's like, oh, here's a useful guide. Oh, but I've got to give my email, my first name and my um, company name to grab it. it. It kind of puts you off, right? So if you've got every resource on your website behind an email wall, it's just going to frustrate people. It will frustrate me. I'm sure it will frustrate you. Um, it's annoying. I think if you've got one or two max guides or webinars, whatever, gated, and these resources, whatever they are, video guides, webinars, you've actually shown cost customers and they've either said to you that deserves to be gated or they've actually would happily pay for this content then you can ask for an email for it. So for example, I released a guide a while back called the No BS Guide to Website Lead Gen, which is on our site. And that used to be paid. So I used to charge for it. Quite a few people bought it. Um, and then about eight months later, I just made it free. So I proved that there was demand. I proved people were happy to pay for it. Then I just stuck it on a website as a free resource um, in exchange for email. That's the only gated resource we have on our full website. Everything else, all the other articles, webinars, videos, podcasts are free to engage. So... That's the test. Would someone pay for it or would a customer agree that it should be gated? That, that's my test. So now let's say you have the websites. Now you want to focus on increasing conversions. So how do you go about that? So this is, I guess, on the basis that you're getting some decent traffic to your site. So perhaps you're doing some SEO, perhaps you're running ads, perhaps you're doing email marketing, social, perhaps you're doing something else to, to drive a decent amount of traffic to your site. So you actually know that the website's getting several hundred, several thousand visitors each and every month. And then perhaps you've identified that you're not driving enough leads through the site. So there's a few things you want to do. I mean, initially you want to have some tools on your site. So you want to have definitely Google Analytics. So that way you can measure the traffic that the site's getting, the sources. So what channels are driving traffic to the site? What channels are driving the lead conversions, the inquiries? 
um, and also what the conversion rate of your site is from visitor to inbound lead. So you can actually know, you want to know the foundations, you want to know the basic stats before you start tinkering and messing around. So Google Analytics for sure, so you can actually know what's going on, what the stats are. And then you can also look at tools like Hotjar. So Hotjar is quite cool. It's like a heat map software. So you can actually see what parts of your site people are clicking on. You can record user sessions um, and you can also run surveys. You can ask people that go on your site kind of what they like about it, what they dislike, what can be improved which is good if you're planning on updating your site quite regularly. So, yeah, it might be. I mean, good thing about Google Analytics is you can see things like the bounce rate. So how many people are going onto the homepage and then maybe dropping off. So if, if you're seeing, for example, tons of people are, are going onto the homepage and they're not exploring any further, that might mean that your messaging isn't resonating with target customers. So that might mean that you've got to go back to your research stage, identify the problem that you solve or how you help. It might be you need to layer some social proof on your homepage. Perhaps your call to actions aren't clear. So perhaps that you've got a menu navigation, perhaps you've got a hero banner area. Perhaps someone has to scroll right down to then book an inquiry um, or learn what you do. So you need to maybe tweak your messaging or the design. Um, or perhaps lots of people are dropping off on the contact page. Maybe it means your form's too long. Maybe it means they're, they're getting frustrated. Perhaps it's to do with your page speed. Perhaps your website page take homepage takes 10 seconds to load. And by the time it's loaded, someone's made a cup of tea, had a coffee, had two biscuits and a piece of cake and uh, fallen asleep and gone to your competitor's site. So lots of things that can affect it. Um, but the main thing to do is to know where you're at right now with your analytics and then looking at ways, looking at areas. Perhaps people are dropping off on a certain page, so it needs work. Perhaps you need to go back interview some customers. Perhaps you need to make small tweaks. But the thing with conversion rate, Fernando, is you don't want to change loads at one time. So you want to look at specific sections. So if people are dropping off on the homepage, okay, let's tweak our hero area. Let's change this headline. Let's add a call to action. Maybe we need to change our call to action from learn more to request my free demo today and get that, that call to action nice and descriptive. So it really tells people what to do. So it's small tweaks at a time and then measure them um, rather than trying to change everything at once and not knowing what worked, what didn't. You mentioned, um, well, you need traffic for that. And uh, if you build it, they will come. It's not really the case for websites, right? Yeah. Is SEO still the main driver of visitors to websites? Yeah, I mean, for example, at WebChoice, our, our top three channels are SEO number one, paid ads and paid media channels number two and then LinkedIn's number three so it is for us and a lot of likewise a lot of our clients we do SEO then we run ads and it is kind of their top performers and it's, I think it's quite quite similar for a lot of B2B companies that take marketing seriously then they're putting out a lot of content they're distributing a lot of content they're building backlinks and they're, they're doing SEO so SEO is not dead it's very much alive and well how do I know well it generates us leads daily and it does the same for customers it's not the be all and end all though As I always say, you want a multi-channel approach to marketing. So putting all of your eggs in one basket is never a smart move. Um, so if one channel takes a hit, you want another couple channels that are going to drive traffic to your site and drive inbound. So yes, you still want to look at paid ads, whether that's Google ads, social, whether that's looking at the um, technology review sites like G2 and Clutch and all that good stuff. And then also looking at other channels, whether that's webinars, email marketing. So you definitely want to multi-channel approach but yeah SEO is alive and well and anyone who tells you different is can uh, drop me a message on LinkedIn and we can have a nice heated debate <laughs> I can make some introductions <laughs> uh, so what about uh, the technical side of SEO factors like you mentioned page speed I think is a big one is this a nice to have 
or is it a must-have today to rank on Google? Page speed is the silent killer of websites. The reason being is you'll never know if someone dropped off until you look at your analytics and get under the bonnet. You'll never know if you've lost a prospect, a lead or a customer because your website was too slow. A lot of people posting on LinkedIn saying your website speed should be three or four seconds. That's BS. It should be one second or less, which is super fast, I know. But it is a Google ranking factor. And also think about it from your own perspective. If you were, let's say now you need some SaaS software, so maybe you need a new CRM. So you're going to compare three agencies. If you type into Google now, let's say best CRM for medium-sized company, one of the companies takes four or five seconds to load. You're thinking, well, this is a bad start straight away. And then you try and click your pricing. And again, that takes four or five seconds. You're thinking, bloody hell, this is slow. And then you go on to a competitor and it's nice and quick. Everything's there as soon as you need it. You're going to take a slight bias to the competitor, right? Um, so not only does it affect the user experience negatively, it affects your Google ranking. Um, and it's just frustrating. So page speed is very, very important. It literally is the silent killer of websites because think about it. If you're spending time or money on SEO or you're spending time and money on ads and then people are dropping off your site, you've literally thrown money down the drain just because your website was too slow. So how do you go about making it faster? Because you want all the good stuff. You you want the hotjar script in there. You you want everything yeah, <laughs> that you can display on problem, a website. But everything you put <laughs> makes it a bit slower. So how do you do that? Marketers love plugins and scripts and codes. <laughs> so you need to you need to be careful. You need to think there's a few there's a few things that slow websites down. Um so a lot of B2B websites especially are built on platforms like WordPress. So making sure that the web the website platform, whether that is WordPress or something else, is firstly up to date. Things like plugins can really bloat a website and slow it down. So if you've got like a hundred plugins, 50% are out of date, 50% you don't even need. So first of all, check you've only got the plugins or extensions that you actually need, whether that's like Yoast for SEO, whether that's a few other things for performance or CRM integrations, whatever. Make sure you've only got the scripts and plugins that you need and make sure your platform and your plugins are all up to date um, and maintained other things like large imagery that's not compressed can slow websites down videos can slow website down so instead of embedding a youtube or vimeo video what you can do is have a nice compressed image with a play button and when you press that image it clicks to load it so then it pops up a, a nice video on your screen in a light box that then loads Something called JavaScript, which typically animates websites, can slow websites down. So it's um, making sure the code's clean, it's fast loading, not too many images, not too many plugins. Also your hosting, Fernando. So a lot of companies skimp and scrape when it comes to hosting, and they'll take out the budget 30 euros a month hosting or $30 a month hosting. Why? You're probably investing thousands of pounds marketing or thousands of dollars marketing your site each month. Why scrimp on hosting? Um, so yeah, getting a solid server that's got sufficient memory bandwidth backups so it can actually keep your website fast um, and just following best practices on kind of the design and the back end and the code and, and those kind of things help out with PageSpeed. Okay, so we cannot finish without talking about SEO Man, a video series <laughs> that you're posting on social media. Yeah. Can you describe what those videos look like for those who didn't see it yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're they're on LinkedIn or they're they're on my YouTube, Sam Dunning. Um, but yeah, they're basically um, sa saving the world from dodgy black hat evil SEO practices. So I guess when I've been on podcasts before, I've kind of shared that there's a lot of things that frustrate me around SEO and that some agencies, some companies make SEO sound like a dark art. 
So sales reps will literally use like all this jargon, all this confusing talk to really almost confuse or scaremonger people to buy because they don't really understand what it is. Um, and then they'll charge you an arm and leg to hopefully get you to the top of Google. So SEO man's here to, in his cape, in his outfit, in his special uniform to save the world from bad practices and at the same time give you some useful tips to help your website rank better in, in organic search. So it's a bit of fun. So I'm going to end the interview with uh, five rapid fire questions for you to answer as quickly as possible. And then uh, really the last bit is, uh, is a challenge. So let's go okay. with the rapid fire. Okay. What's your favorite superhero? Oh, it's got to be got to be Superman, SEO man. <laughs> Which brands have amazing websites? Ooh, this is tough. Um, so I like I've I've always kind of liked the HubSpot site because it's I think they were one of the first sites. They're big on SEO, right? They're big on inbound, and they're always open about their pricing and stuff like that. So I really like it. There's a lot of SaaS websites that are good and do a good job, but I guess HubSpot's pretty cool. How much would you pay for an authority backlink? <laughs> it depends. And it also depends what it is because there's a lot of dodgy stuff, right? So you've got to be careful whenever you're buying links. So it's very situational because there's a lot of dodgy sites where you can buy like 100 backlinks for like $500 and then it's going to do more harm than good and possibly even blacklist your site from Google. So yeah, if you're going to buy links, be very careful get make sure a professional vets them is marketing attribution a mirage i think it's important to measure to actually know where you stand and what needs work so certainly using things like google analytics or similar tools on your website so you actually understand how many inquiries you're getting things like key stats and if those if those leads are the right kind of quality and if they're converting so what areas need to improve i think there needs to be a healthy balance i'm all for demand gen i'm all for dark social we do it we educate our prospects, but I'm also for capturing that bottom of demand, capturing people when they search, they need your help. You show up and you also measure what works. There needs to be a healthy balance. It's not all one one or the other as much as people like to make it sound like it is. And finally, who should I invite next for this podcast? One of my favorite guests who's not a marketer is a guy called Benjamin Dennehy, who's the UK's most hated sales trainer. Um, I think you'd have fun with him because he's actually, he went from kind of outbound to using LinkedIn to generate a lot of his customers and inquiries. So now he has a massive following on LinkedIn and YouTube. So he's basically built on this huge personal brand, bigger than almost anyone I know as a sales trainer. And now he's he's kind of sharing that. So I think he'd be useful. He'd be got quite a fun guest. So let's go for the challenge. This is the would you rather challenge. I'm going to give you two possibilities. You have to choose one. Uh, and tell me why okay so sam would you rather have to dress up in your seo man outfit for every social interaction for the rest of your life with clients <laughs> friends family everyone or have every customer you will ever work with expect to rank number one for a highly competitive keyword in under one month definitely seo man outfit <laughs> <laughs> sam thank you so much for sharing all this knowledge with us. It was great to have you on the podcast. No worries, man. Thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. LandBot helps you convert leads, capture data, and personalize client journeys in real time with the most intuitive, no-code chatbot builder. 
If you've ever wanted to design natural conversations without coding, if you've ever dreamed of instantly deploying chatbots anywhere, and if you've ever discussed increasing your conversion rate with bots, well, we think LandBot is going to be a perfect fit for your organization. Learn more about building relationships with no-code bots at LandBot.io. been listening to Ungated Marketing, a podcast from LandBot. 